Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sounds of Science, a series of podcasts hosted by UCOPE, the European trade body representing small and medium-sized companies active in pharmaceuticals and medical technologies. My name is Dante Giulio, and I'm the Communications and Business Development Manager at UCOPE and your host on today's pod. Before moving forward, I'd like to kindly ask you to click on the subscribe button below and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn to stay up to date on all of the latest news and initiatives within the world of European pharma and biotech. On today's episode, we'll discuss upcoming developments in the field of rare diseases, a timely matter as Rare Disease Day approaches on February 28th. Rare disease is a topic which is very close to the heart of our organization, as almost half of our 130 members work in the field of medicines for rare disease, also called orphan medicinal products or orphan drugs. Rare diseases have an important place on the EU agenda, with the French presidency positioning as one of their priorities, plus there continues to be an increasing level of work at the EU level to foster research and clinical excellence in this field. Most importantly for our case, the upcoming revision of the EU orphan medicinal products. Today, we want to give you a little more detail on the background of this revision, possible outcomes and implications for the rare disease community. To discuss the topic, we're joined today by Rachel Finnegan, Head of Government Affairs at Biomarin EMEA, a leading biopharmaceutical company in the field of rare diseases, and of course, one of UCOPE's members. And we're also joined by one of our very own, Vittoria Carraro, Associate Director for Government Affairs here at UCOPE, who leads our association work on orphan medicinal products, or OMPs. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you, Vittoria. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Thank Dante. You. Pleasure to be here. Okay, great. Let's just jump right into it. So, Rachel, um, let's start with the basics. How do we define rare diseases and why is there a need for a specific regulation on them? Thank you. So, first of all, a rare disease is any disease that affects a small percentage of the population. And the, in the EU, it's currently defined as a disease that affects less than five in 10,000 people. Um, there are currently about 6,000 rare diseases and they affect around 30 million EU citizens. A few other points to mention perhaps, um, 80% of rare diseases are of genetic origin and 90% of rare diseases start in childhood. Rare diseases are often chronic and or life-threatening. And then therapies that are aimed at treating rare diseases are called orphan or orphan medicinal products, OMPs. And this is because they wouldn't have been developed under normal market conditions due to the small patient populations living with these diseases. In various countries, legislation was put in place to address rare diseases. And at the EU level, legislation was put in place in 2000, the Orphan Medicinal Products Regulation, to encourage the research, development and placing on the market of these orphan medicinal products. Now, so Vittoria, that, thanks a lot, uh, Rachel, for that. So Vittoria, what about the EU regulation? What does it entail? So thank, thanks, Dante. So the regulation that we have um, here in the, in the EU, it's uh, basically, it's composed of, of, of two main rules that we have to bear in mind to understand a little bit the system. So how do we define a drug that is intended for rare diseases, an orphan drug, which we can consider a bit like the entry point of this regulation. And so what will this drug get in terms of incentive once it's identified as an orphan drug, either i.e. it has an orphan designation? So to have an orphan designation, a medicine has to be uh, targeting a disease that is life-threatening or chronically, chronically debilitating, and it affects less than five in 10,000 patients in Europe. 
um, or it could be also be a medicine that doesn't generate sufficient return of investment, but that's a very uh, un is, a, is very rarely used as a criterion, has it is very difficult to uh, look into that so early on in the development stage of, 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 a, of a medicine. So these kind of products, which by the way, uh, the regulation managed to have 200 today, there were only eight before this regulation was put in place in Europe. So it's really something to be proud of, I will say. Um, wow. The incentives that this medicine receive is um, 10 years of market exclusivity upon marketing authorization. Uh, this means that a medicinal product approved for a rare disease uh, will not face uh, any competition from another product during uh, those uh, 10 years. Similar medicines for the same indication cannot be placed on the market. And this can be extended of two years for medicines that are also approved for uh, children that have a, a pediatric in investigation plan. There are also some other incentives for micro and small and medium sized enterprises, such as fee reduction, support from the EMA to go through the administrative procedure, which is particularly important indeed for uh, smaller companies that have less resources. So while we are talking about all of that, because the, the regulation is under revision, we are on the brink of having uh, a new regulation, possibly a proposal for a regulation, sorry, at the end of this year. So we're talking about new re new revisions and new regulations, but what is this the current regulation actually achieved to date? So I think um, maybe to pick up that question, it's worth looking at the the report that the Commission has um, developed, looking at how the regulation has performed to date, and that outlines some of the key achievements. One of which Vittoria has just mentioned, which is the fact that. Before the regulation, there were only eight orphan medicines approved, and that's now increased to over 200. Um, other points that I think show what the regulation has achieved is the fact that over 6.3 million people living in Europe, so both people living with rare diseases and their families, their lives have been improved um, since the regulation came into force in terms of health outcomes and also quality of life. The Commission's report also found that the regulation led to various other advances in EU rare disease policy. So, for example, since the adoption of the regulation, 23 EU member states have developed national rare disease plans. And then just from the perspective of, of an SME, the regulation has also enabled companies to undertake research and to launch innovative therapies for people living with rare diseases in Europe, which is um, quite a complex and, and difficult area. The thing is, it seems that the regulation has performed so well. You talked about how it went from 8 to 200 uh, orphan medicines being approved and that the lives of 6.3 million people have been have been improved across the EU. So why is there a need for, for a change or a revision? Well, the regulation is over 20 years old at this stage and science, as we know, has greatly advanced um, in the meantime. So the regulatory system needs to keep pace with these advances and to enable UCOPS members um, like ourselves to continue to innovate and deliver treatments to people with rare diseases. OK, that makes sense. Um, so what is the Commission actually proposing now to change in its regulation? 
So the, the new proposal is not out yet, but the Commission consults stakeholders on the possible course of action before changing regulations or proposing new ones. So we can share a little bit of what's on the table and make some educated guesses. Um, back to these two elements of the regulation that I was talking about before, so how a drug becomes eligible for some incentives and what are these incentives, including possibly some conditionalities attached to the incentive. Well, these are among the two main areas the Commission is looking at for changes. However, let's remember that once the Commission puts forward, is, puts forward its proposal, this is far from being a done deal. Both the European Parliament and the Council of the EU that represents the Member States have to discuss, often amend and eventually approve the proposal. Okay, great. Thank you for that salient point. Very important to remember for our listeners. Um, I understand there's also a lot to, a lot to be discussed and decided. Uh, but what I really want to understand is what would be the impact of these possible ideas on the table on patients with rare diseases? Again, we are in the realm of educated guesses, but we are very vigilant towards these changes at UCOP because, in fact, they might have a big impact. Changing the criteria that define an orphan drug, for example, lowering the prevalence threshold or add an incidence criterion which looks more at how many people develop a disease rather than have a disease at a given time. Well, these things could impact the number of indications, possibly meaning the diseases, the number of diseases addressed by a drug. And this is quite a challenging move because we could have patients effectively left out of the orphan regime. Then also changing the incentives, that is another complex matter. One of the stated rationales in the Commission thinking um, is to further focus on therapeutic areas where there is no approved treatment. And this is, of course, an objective we all agree it's important. But one has to wonder, what is this going to mean for areas with some therapeutic options? Even when we have a treatment for rare diseases, we can rarely speak of curative. In fact, this is a word that entered the vocabulary for rare diseases very recently. So even if a patient has some options approved for, for his or her diseases, there's definitely a lot more to do. Not to mention that patients with the same rare condition respond to treatments very differently very often. Rare diseases are very heterogeneous, we say. So one size fits all is really not the, the, the answer. That being said, changing the incentives in a way that one area gets more and one gets less can have negative consequences on the number of products actually developed and the option for the patient. And so it's an incredibly hard one to balance, really. Uh, that's an important point that one size did not, does not fit all. Um, Rachel, I wanted to ask you, as a, as a biopharmaceutical company uh, with a strong focus on rare disease, what, do, um, what does your company kind of think about the proposed changes so far? So I think our key point here is that any changes to the um, OMP regulation really need to build on its success to date. Um, and I think it's really remarkable, as we've already said, um, to think about the number of approved medicines increasing from eight to over 200 since the introduction of the regulation. 
And as Victoria mentioned, many changes are under consideration. And I think a key point is that any legislative changes need to maintain an attractive rare disease ecosystem in Europe so that companies are able to continue to undertake research and development and launch these um, innovative therapies for people living with rare diseases. It's not likely that the, the point that Victoria mentioned about changing the, um, the prevalence threshold for rare diseases, which, as we said, is currently less than five in 10,000 people. It's not likely that this would help to tackle the challenges that are faced by rare disease patients. So just focusing on this for a second, um, this definition of prevalence is highly relevant as it actually determines whether a rare disease um, is el eligible for support under the OMP regulation, as Vittoria was outlining. And just to build a little bit on your question, Dante, about the impact on patients, if a disease was no longer recognised as a rare disease due to a change in this prevalence threshold, rare research and development in this area would then no longer benefit, as I said, from the incentives and rewards provided by the regulation. And without these incentives, patients living with these diseases, where, as we've said, are often um, characterised by very small patient populations, they would then risk not benefiting from future therapeutic innovation. So in other words, in order not to exclude any rare disease patients from future therapeutic innovation, we believe that the current prevalence threshold defining a rare disease should be maintained. Maybe just to touch on another point that Victoria mentioned, which is the considerations around a modulated approach to incentives for the development of rare disease therapies. As previously highlighted, it's important to remember that because of the small numbers of patients affected by a rare disease, standard innovation models are generally not effective. So any changes to the existing system of incentives for the development of these therapies would need to be very thoughtfully calibrated. It's an important point to add. Thank you very much for that. Um, Vitoli, do you have anything else to add on this point? Yes, I think it's also important to look at the regulation in the in the broader framework, because exactly as Rachel said, there are the, the current business model sometimes and, and even a regulatory review could not be enough. So, you know, it's we have this tool. It had worked very well, the OMP regulation uh, in, in, in Europe. But um, we have also to wonder, you know, on one side, we want to avoid type two errors, meaning under incentivized areas which will still need support. And we have to be very conscious when we indeed work with the tools that the regulation has given. But also then beyond that, um, we might want to think about what is needed, you know, in those areas which are so small and where we know so little about even the history of the patients or where where are they actually, that you might want to think that um, support basic research, support um, a collection of data, public-private partnership, they are all elements that will complement the regulation. And in setting ourselves these, uh, these big goals of, uh, you know, uh, really tapping in this area, in this underserved area, which have no uh, therapeutic option, we have to think very, in a very bold manner, about all the options, the political options on the table. I want to ask you, will a revision of the regulation itself ensure access to orphan medicines? 
So as we've touched upon, the Commission is also considering um, some form of conditionali conditionality linking incentives to obligations such as launching rare disease therapies in all or most EU member states. Um, companies and UCOPS members are committed to patient access and I think it's precisely because patient access is the end goal that we need to debunk this misconception that this would be the right way to improve patient access across Europe. When considering such measures, I think it's key to bear in mind that the placing on the market of an authorised orphan and medicinal product depends very much on pricing and reimbursement negotiations with authorities in individual countries. And the length of these negotiations can vary greatly between countries. And in addition, some member states across the EU do not allow a company to launch a product there unless they've already um, obtained the status of pricing and, and reimbursement in several other member states. In addition, launching simultaneously in all or many EU member states will be very difficult for small to medium sized companies as they often don't have a commercial presence in all member states or the capacity to scale up their organisation. Um, and then just thinking of countries where they don't have the appropriate infrastructure to administer rare disease treatments. I think encouraging the launch of a therapy in these countries would not lead to increased patient availability or access to treatments. And another key consideration around such, um, such launch um, conditionality is that some countries don't actually have any people living with a particular rare disease, given the small patient populations we discussed. So encouraging the launch of a rare disease therapy in a country that doesn't have a population living with this disease wouldn't lead to the availability of treatments to patients in need elsewhere. OK, that's, that's quite interesting. It's uh, difficult for me, like a newbie, to, to understand all of this, but I'm starting to understand the, the the benefits to patients and to SMEs in the field. And what about, Vittori, perhaps you can answer this. What about the needs of underserved areas? As mentioned before, we have these 95% of diseases without an authorized treatment. If we go and unpack this number, about 85% of all the rare diseases that we know of have a prevalence of less than one in one million people. And, and those, they form a big chunk of the 95%. So for many of these diseases, therapeutic development presents challenges that include incomplete understanding of how the disease develops and evolves. There are difficulties in recruiting a small sample of patients to participate in clinical trial. And this is just to name a few of these difficulties down the road. It is clear that in areas like these, we need to look beyond and complement the OMP regulation. And on this one, UCOP is not working alone, of course. The very nature of these challenges make it, makes it impossible for any one stakeholder to act alone, really. I think we will encourage listeners, if they feel up to, to look at the recommendation of a project called the European Orphan Drug Incentives Expert Group or the expert group for short, an initiative that we set up with Eurordis, the European Rare Disease Patient Organization, some of our members' companies, and experts from research, legal, clinical practice, and investment in rare diseases. 
the group rationale is that incentives to foster to foster rare disease therapies development need to improve the entire drug life cycle from basic research up until access. It is just like the saying goes, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. So it is what we're trying to do here. And we are really just scratching the surface. This group is still active. This year we will be drilling down on some of the needs and build on the recommendation we already have published and develop fewer actionable points on the review of the uh, OMP regulation. So the whole regulation we spoke about today, and we will go a little bit beyond as well, but this could be a topic maybe for a future podcast. Perfect. Thank you so, so much for that. Um, one thing I wanted to say, well, Rare Disease Day is coming up on February 28th. Uh, Rachel, does Biomarin have any plans to celebrate or any special initiatives regarding this day? Yeah, so we'll be lighting up our buildings in Ireland where we have our headquarters and manufacturing in support of the Eurotus-led campaign um, to light up for Rare Disease Day. And Vittoria, I guess Rare Disease Day is also a kind of a perfect opportunity to expand the discussion and amplify uh, about OMPs. So do you have anything uh, final to say before we, we, we head off, sign off? Well, absolutely. We have a lot uh, in our pipeline and we have a lot in stock so uh, I think that we will uh, use all the materials for continue to inform and engage and support the community throughout the month so uh, it's also an opportunity to uh, point our listeners towards our social media channels that in fact you will be leading on <laughs> <laughs> so there's gonna be a lot of work for both of us and uh, and you Copa as a whole I appreciate the confidence. Rachel, it was a pleasure. Vittorio, it was a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining Thanks. me today. Um, we ho hope to speak soon. Enjoy uh, Rare Disease Day 2022. And for all the latest news regarding our activities on rare diseases, orphan medicinal products, and the rare disease community, you should also check out the UCOPE Rare Disease Hub on our website, ucope.org. So thanks so much, girls. Have a great day. Thank you. Well, that's it for this episode of Sounds of Science, the podcast that keeps you acquainted with the most pressing EU policy files on life sciences. We are UCOPE, the innovative trade body that gives small pharma a bigger voice in Europe. For more info about us, please visit our website, www.ucope.org, or engage with us on social media. We'll see you next time on the pod. Thanks for listening.